Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live... F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is More Exciting Than Any Practice Session. That provided by Scott on Twitter. Hi, I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners. So, Let's be friends. Welcome to our Brazilian Grand Prix race review. It was a race where I reignited my love for Interlagos, but it did go on an awful lot, didn't it, that weekend? Uh, We'll see how Russell showed the real difference between him and Lewis Hamilton. We'll talk about a welcome return for Aston Martin as Alonso stole the show. And of course, we will have to briefly touch on another sad Leclerc moment. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first-ish. I'm joined in the shed by an American, Matt Two Rumpets. Hello, Matt. And that, kids, is why you never go for the three-stop. I Who went for the three-stop? Just Ocon. Is just it? Ocon in the end. Okay, yes. and how? And that didn't work out. He got overtaken by Gasly at the end, or let through in the end. Uh, well, actually, Gasly got him on the second start. If we're mm. going to talk about his whole race, but essentially, the reason it didn't work out as well as Alpine had hoped was because he got hung up with a lot of front runner pitting traffic. I and see. That kids is why you never do that. Okay, so I'm not going to start the show with a deep dive on Ocon's three-stop analysis. I hope you won't take that as a a slight in any way, but we'll move on because we're joined by race driver man, Bradley Philpott. Hey, Brad. I'm so glad that I specifically chose the Brazilian Grand Prix (laughs) to come on the show because Mercedes are going to do so well and we're going to have loads to talk about and be super positive. Okay, Brad, do you want me to look at the whatsapp message when we were planning the panel for this show and i said are you up for the brazilian grand prix race review and you said yes 
this will be a brilliant one to have on because Lewis will definitely win. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was proven absolutely right. <laughs> and to make it the grumpiest old man panel we've had in a long time, we have our MotoGP podcast host, Kyle Power. How's it going, Kyle? Indeed. Why bother watching exciting pit battles with somebody rejoining into the middle of a battle when you can watch something else where, where nothing is happening or watch a replay of something that you've just seen happen? TV broadcasting, it must be really hard. Like even here on this YouTube channel, the amount of times I'm focused in on completely the wrong person at completely the wrong time, you know, I can count that on several. I've got to take my socks off to, the, to count the amount of times I get that wrong. But yeah, today we did miss a lot of the key action. And even the commentary team on Sky was left sort of puzzled, like, oh, sorry, we didn't catch that again. But yeah, Hamilton, Hamilton was it Hamilton coming out the pits? And we were going, like, well, where's signs? Where's signs? And uh, there was loads of that those was moments. one of them. Yeah, there was loads <laughs> yeah. of those moments. And uh, Stroll getting past Hamilton, that would have been a good one to watch. I mean, that's mm-hmm. quite momentous, really. Like the Aston Martin that's been nowhere, the second Aston Martin car chucking it down the inside or outside of Hamilton. We, we don't know. <laughs> that would have been nice to see. We think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. I just, yeah, go on, Matt. I just have this mental image of the actual producer saying like, I'm going to take a nap. There's no way Stroll's going to pass Hamilton. And then waking up and being like, what have we just missed? Quick, get the replays up now. And and like I say, I'm I'm broadcasting, I'm sure is a very, very dark art. But yeah, there was quite a few people on, on social media talking about that. But let's get on with our race review. All right, we absolutely have to start with the chaos at the front. And we actually, what am I doing? I played the wrong bumper because we get to play my favourite game called Whose Fault Is It? Whose Fault Is It? Now, if you're new to Missed Apex Podcast, this game is based on my marriage where we have 100% blame philosophy. So there's never just, oh, it's one of those things in our house. We have to stop and really consider whose fault it is and and when we've decided it's my fault, we can then move on. So it was uh, dismissed as a racing incident by the stewards. No further action, no investigation needed. But I will ask my panel, whose fault was it? Uh, let's go to Brad, because, Brad, you shared with me a statement that Magnuson had made recently. Oh, that's the one we're talking about. OK, I was just wondering which incident oh, we were sorry, going to talk I didn't, about to I didn't, begin I, with. I didn't set it up very well, did I? Let's start with the incident that took out you know, a quarter of the pack where one driver had at least four, I think, confirmed kills. Yeah, so Magnussen doesn't think it was his fault. He thinks that Albon squeezed Hulkenberg. But I would say from my perspective, it looked pretty clear, like Magnussen wandered slightly to the right, maybe assuming it was only him and Hulkenberg there. Hulkenberg reacted slightly, moved very, very slightly to the right. And Albon went in a dead straight line, got tagged and ended up taking out Magnussen, who caused it in the first place, right? I think that's I think that's how it went. Yeah, it looked just like that. Um, Albon, he did actually have a tiny bit more room to his right-hand side, and I fully think that Albon did go dead straight, but he could see when he passed Hulkenberg that the wheels were going to be pretty much almost interlocked, but I think he fully expected Hulkenberg to start pulling left to look at the inside, having no idea that Magnussen, as you say, was squeezing Hulkenberg on the other side. So uh, Albon, yeah. Uh, oh, I've got confused. Albon on the right hand side. Yeah, yeah Hulkenberg yeah, yeah, was yeah. being squeezed in the middle while Magnussen was coming across on Hulkenberg. Right, so Albon yeah. fully expected Hulkenberg with to you. go left, and he didn't. So Albon actually could have avoided that crash if he'd have known wow. that Hulkenberg was on 
um, was being squeezed because he did have about another half meter to his right hand side. I see. This is it though. He Albon was on the line. So it, Kyle, are you saying that he could have gone past the line and yeah. and not been in trouble and but, still kept two wheels on the track? Yeah. But this is the discussion me and Matt have all the time when it comes to track limits, and we never get a satisfactory answer. Like I don't think Albon has to leave the track with half his car. I, I think he's like perfectly entitled to to have his whole oh, car yeah. on track. He is, but hmm. equally, like his um, you know, like as much as I think K Mag is mainly at fault was the catalyst. It's just one of those things. But Albon, having looking back again, and would do it again. I'm pretty sure Albon would move over to the right a little bit more. Because all of these cars initially are moving in a straight line and Album being one of them, they're all kind of going in exactly the same direction. In this particular instance, there there's no expectation for Album that he would need to use any extra track. Yeah, yeah. If if all the cars were moving kind of parallel to each other, diagonally towards the edge, and Hulkenberg continued to move across towards Album, he probably would keep moving right and nibble a bit of the green paint. But because as far as he's concerned, the yeah. car next to him is going straight and he's going straight. He's got no no reason to think he needs to use that extra room yeah. until suddenly at the last <laughs> moment, Hulkenberg tags his rear because he's being squished across. Yeah, so obviously it's Hulkenberg that got the poor start. So he's kind of getting swamped from both sides. And like, what must he be thinking as his teammate starts coming across? Go, I would love, I would absolutely love, 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 Kevin, to move to the right-hand side and give you all the space in the world. I would love to do that. Uh, but obviously, Albon's there. And I think Albon's completely entitled to be there. But it was um, it was self-policing in a way because it was so targeted how Albon then spun across and like specifically took out Magnussen. I was just going to comment on that self-policing. Yeah. It's always satisfying when the person who caused the incident is the one that comes off worst. Obviously, Albon actually came off worst. Yeah. But, um, out of the two teammates, at least the correct one was immediately taken out of the race. Yeah, with Hulkenberg, I've seen somebody in um, in the live chat say that maybe Hulkenberg could have maybe backed out of it. I think by the point Hulkenberg realised he was in a cluster fluff and in the sandwich between the two of them, he could do nothing. His front wheels were interlocked with both of the cars on either side and he was just a passenger then. Uh, and it was actually Hulkenberg decelerating and the other two going forward and their rear wheels hitting Hulkenberg's front wheels. Uh, the only way you could possibly get through that is if they all speed matched perfectly and that was never going to happen <laughs> into a braking zone into turn one. I'm actually surprised we don't get this more often because how many times, I mean, even in Mexico, in that run down to turn one, Lewis Hamilton just had to take massive avoiding action um, and then and Russell moved quite wildly, I think, in, uh, what was the one before Mexico? Uh, in Qatar? No, I don't know. I've lost track of this season. Cota was before Mexico. Cota, there you go. So... There's so much movement on the on the grid at the start line as people are jostling for positions. And I've always like wondered what, what happens if a car just stays still. But yet very rarely do we see that kind of lateral movement punished. So in a corner, it's more obvious because you can cut someone's nose off and hope they bail out. But on a straight, it's sort of, it's sort of mad to sort of move into somebody else's lane like Kevin did. Like Kevin, Mr. Magnuson. But he didn't really move into Hulkenberg's lane. If he had, there would have been contact between Magnuson and Hulkenberg. What Magnuson was chasing, and we saw it with all of the starts, is that everybody on the inside was chasing the grip on the outside. And so that you have a natural squeezing effect there. And if we're going to talk about just like from a more forensic point of view, I think Kyle had the right of it. This 
accident really happened, not because Magnuson hit Hulkenberg and Hulkenberg hit Albin and then Albin hit Magnuson. This happened because Magnuson came across to find the grip, which he was entitled uh, to do. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Albin was almost past them, so he couldn't see Magnuson putting the squeeze on Hulkenberg or limiting his ability to move out of Albin's way. And then Hulkenberg, because this is not his first trip to being the meat in a Formula One sandwich, is trying to back out of it, doesn't have the room, and catches Albin's rear wheel. And then we got not just the three of them, but also Piastri and Ricardo as ancillary damage taken out in one single rather amazing corner, which was great, but then it also made the race kind of boring later on too, I think. Right. I, I just wanted to point out that Scott in the chat, Scott Rainsford, has mentioned that if anyone had the most space to use, it wasn't Albert, it was Magnussen, who had most of the track yeah, to yeah, his yeah, left that he could have used to avoid it. Yeah, I think, I think like, I'm very happy that that has primarily been caused by, by Kevin Magnussen. But thank you, uh, by the way, to our live chat for joining us. We do not have the live chat on the YouTube, but we, do, we are joined by our patrons in our Slack group, which is a very nice and friendly forum. And you can join that by supporting us at Patreon, patreon.com forward slash missed apex but the carnage that came out of that was disappointing really because on a 20 car grid when we keep losing people like this it's such a like oh now we've only got i think we only effectively had maybe 13 or 14 cars left at the restart if you forget about piastri and you forget about uh, ricardo who were effectively out of it so that was that was a real shame but uh magnuson then goes into a piastri as well like you couldn't have aimed better just a side swipe it was like a fast and the furious type move where he slammed the rear into into piastri and then that stray tire i thought that wasn't supposed to happen anymore was that just the carcass of a tire kyle uh it was just the carcass oh, it wasn't right, the yeah. wheel it wasn't it was the wheel just yeah, the tire yeah, yeah. the tread had been stripped off just like you see lorries do on the motorway uh, right, and the wheels going but that was quite an impressive uh double collateral kill that magnuson managed to get there yeah, and as that tyre was going in the air, the onboards from both Alpha Tauris was incredible because you could really, really see Sonoda judging what happens next. And I think Brad's got the only real-life experience, although I rate all my iRacing experience. But when you have a crash like that ahead of you and you've got a bit of time like Sonoda and Ricardo had, you know what's, what's going through your head, that decision-making process of, of which way to go and where to go? I think you could see Sonoda really looking at the tyre. <laughs> he seemed to be really focused on on missing the tyre. Yeah, your decision-making process is basically, okay, first of all, give myself as much time as possible. So slow down yeah, a bit yeah, and yeah. see where things are going. Like, you know, work out where the car in front is going to end up or where the debris is going to end up. And then you're also thinking, what's happening behind you? I don't want to check up too much because someone's yeah. going to go into the back of me. So you're kind of weighing up these two things. Exactly the same in the sim racing. Um, almost identical. You're you're trying to avoid the carnage, and you're thinking right now my car's still fine, everything's still fine, but I need to pick my way through this <laughs> in in the way which means I'm not going to be rear-ended. I was just about to say exactly that. You kind of want to back off and give yourself time to time to react, but you can't just slam the brakes on and stop because you were going to cause a massive crash behind you. So yeah, I was just going to echo what Brad said. Yeah, and I, there's nothing better when you're in any form of racing, though, when you see the seas part ahead of you and you go, oh, danger, but opportunity. This is wonderful. And Sonoda, I think, gained six places immediately. So once the safety car came out, Sonoda's there. He's, like, he's, he's gained six places and suddenly your Grand Prix just turned around like that, Matt. 
Yeah, well, and it's important to realize that we had losers because some people had good starts and some people had bad starts. And when we went to start, start again, we didn't get the same results. So this was almost like, you know, everyone wants a reverse grid. Well, this this was this gave us kind of a glimpse of, well, let's mix things up a little bit and then just start again and see what happens. Forget mixed grids. We should just have like three starts per sprint race and that would solve everything. All right. OK, look, we'll, we'll talk about sprint races because I, I want to sit here. I want to propose a double sprint races. So I want I want Saturday sprint, main Grand Prix and hear me out. I, I want sprint Monday. But we'll go to that towards the end of the show. So uh, we've lost, you know, a good third of the grid. And the Grand Prix actually settles down into a fairly, I don't want to use the B word, but it wasn't the most thrilling Grand Prix spectacular as it happens. And there's, there's a few reasons for that. But definitely the people that stole the show were Fernando Alonso and Sergio Perez. Now, the reason I wanted to go straight to this one was because it was just a... It was a masterclass of of racing from Fernando Alonso. Now, you guys know I'm a Perez fan. Perez had the faster car, uh, so he had a car advantage. But Alonso, you rarely get a chance, I think, in F1 nowadays to really show how good you are wheel to wheel. Like, it's not an every lap occurrence. People aren't swapping places. But in a defensive battle that turned into an attacking battle... Fernando Alonso, for me, showed he's still one of the absolute best to have ever raced in Formula One. And yeah, like, you know, you know, I always put my my biases on the line. I don't know why I'm a fan of Fernando Alonso, yet I sometimes root against him. I've got no idea what's going on. I like I like love and hate him and I don't understand which which is the correct one. But I do think he's one of the best to have have ever raced in Formula One. And there's there's moments like this where you go, yeah, that's. That is the the driver for that situation, Matt. Well, I just want to get in with a little bit of technical love here and tell you that some differences you would like to be aware of, aside from the um, racecraft differences, which I'm sure Brad and Kyle will love to get into momentarily, was that Fernando started his last stint on a fresh set of soft tires, whereas Perez was on a used set that... In addition to that, Perez had run an extra four or five laps on the sorry and pathetic medium tire relative to Alonso, also giving him an advantage, meaning Perez had to close more ground down to catch him. And that the last 10 laps were just a nail biter, watching him just hang in DRS and wait to make his attack. Yeah, and Perez had those extra four or five laps on the undesirable medium tires because as he sort of kind of not accused the team, but he but he kind of um, inferred on his radio message that they pitted him too early because they were reacting to Mercedes. Now, the, on the Sky coverage, I think they misinterpreted this radio message a little bit. Uh, so Perez was like, let's do our own race. Why have we reacted to them? It was like, we have the pace. And he was like, why have you pitted me so early? They're not our race. Let's go. So that gave him the extra four or five laps. So I wonder what would have happened if they hadn't have reacted to Mercedes, whether he would have maybe come out of the pits later on in the race ahead of Alonso, and it already would yeah. have been done. And when you when you look at the fact that Mercedes just weren't in it, as much, we, no one could have predicted how not in it they were, that in a, a race where only 12 cars finished, where did Hamilton finish in the end? Eighth? And, uh, and if Russell had carried on, he would have probably finished 11th or 11th or 12th. So, yeah, so he'll be going back now going, yeah, you really did. Why did you react to 
a Mercedes that we were never going to be in a fight with. Um, but I do want to talk about the racecraft a little bit there, Brad, because the, one of the key things that we saw was um, Perez not really having an answer to getting past Fernando Alonso until the, the, the time that he did was when he took a different line into the final corner. Like he finally tried something different, broke a bit earlier and sharper and, and like just risked it over the inside curb. But that's that's the situation here. We saw it with Hamilton in, in 21. This is where racecraft can really make the difference. Yeah, so first of all, I want to say I don't really buy into the the hypothesis that um, Perez was just waiting until no, the no, end I don't to think make he was. his attack. No. I, think, I think if he could have made that attack at any point, he would have done, because ultimately he was faster. And once he was through, provided Alonso didn't counterattack and he could break away, he was going to just pull away. So I don't think it was quite Perez biding his time and waiting i think he just found the opportunity right near the end you know he tried finally tried something different and and it worked it got him close enough that he could then make that attack but i have to say when i first saw perez close up to the back of alonso i thought it was done you know it was going to be done pretty quickly he is driving a superior car um and i think really the difference here was the quality of driver in both of those cars alonso absolutely was managing the gap precisely using his energy in the right place and as you will have seen from from the tv footage using lines which allowed him to get a good enough exit so he was always just out of reach of perez when it came to the end of the drs zone and and into the braking areas right up until perez finally actually tried something different uh, something which i think a a better driver a verstappen for example would have tried much earlier and and he finally got through and then we saw what unfolded over the final two laps. Yeah, the Alonso line in the final corner. I noticed this about, well, quite early on in the race, because I initially thought he was making mistakes. I was like, that's unlike him. He's made multiple mistakes. I was like, no, he's doing that every single lap. So why he's doing that is not... So Perez is more sort of being in the corner. He was getting the front in, the point and squirt, sort of getting the front turned and then trying to fire out the corner. But he's obviously having to turn more and, it, and turn whilst he's accelerating harder. Whereas Alonso, he's turning on around a a wider radius so he's probably on the throttle a little bit later but harder and when it's slightly straighter as well so it's actually good he can get better traction and a better launch out of the corner and that was working an absolute treat and as brad said i think perry's kind of this was kind of throwing him a little bit and it was and it was only till really late in the race that he finally started to try driving slightly differently to get around it because he can't just copy Alonso's line because he'd be in a dirty air so initially Perez is probably thinking this is great I get nice clear air on my front wing but actually it was hurting his exit so very very clever driving and uh, if Alonso would say so himself that's high IQ driving I believe is one of the phrases he uses (laughs) well for me the thing that was interesting to watch about it and when I say Perez waited what I'm what I mean is he got to DRS about lap 60 on Alonso And it took him that long to figure out how to get inside the magic half second that you needed to be trailing in order to have a really good pass down this down the final straight, the start finish straight here. He would get close, he would get closer, but he would never get quite close enough. And some of that, I think, is just down to the characteristics of the car. But also when I say he waited, it was very clear to me that he had he was busy filling up his battery. And when he made that pass, he spent every last erg of energy in that car, making it by Alonso. So when we got to the actual pass itself and Perez finally got through, I really did think it was done. 
And despite Alonso, you know, valiantly hanging in there through that lap, you know, he clearly looked like he was going to try and fight back. But from everything else I'd seen when a car was passed by a faster car through the rest of the race, it never really worked. And they always fell away a bit too much in the middle sector and the final sector to then be within range down the start straight again. But yeah. what seemed to happen on that in that end of the final lap was, although Alonso seemed to exit the final corner slightly far back from Perez, Perez went ever so slightly deep at turn one, or he at least didn't get the perfect run down through the center S's. And from that moment on, it was it was suddenly on. And Alonso did a thing which I was surprised Russell didn't do earlier in the race, which was when he got that run down the outside towards turn do we call it turn four after the center yeah. S anyway? The, yes. the next, yeah. the next corner, the, the 90 um, degree left. There's a lot of non-turns here. So yeah. 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 So when he got that run and Perez defended the inside, as soon as he was passed, he immediately moved left. He immediately compromised Perez. He didn't just stay to the right and allow Perez to, you know, outbreak him up the inside, which is what happened to Russell earlier in the race. And, and that was, that was kind of it. Apart from having to get a nice clean exit to the final corner and hope he wasn't out dragged. Mm. He'd done the hard work and it was, I was kind of on my feet impressed with that. That was when you're on old tires that are, you know, they're overheating and they're worn out anyway. And they're overheating because you've just been fighting for a couple of laps and you're in a, an inferior car to, to get back through on Perez was, I, I think Perez himself would have been surprised it happened. And I was certainly surprised he managed to get it done. Yeah. And going back slightly to Matt's point of, yeah, Perez probably used all of his full bananas mode to get past him. So it was all out of bananas by the time right. he got to turn one okay. on the next lap. Um on, on the next lap. So yeah, that put Alonso going on to the final lap in a position. And as Brad said, Perez went a bit deep in turn one. And this reminded me a little bit of 2021 and Hamilton going after Verstappen. And Hamilton kind of sent a bit of a dummy and made Verstappen go oh, yes. defensive, yeah, which right, compromised yeah. his exit. Whereas Hamilton managed to get ahead of him back down to turn four. And this sort of happened this time, whereas Alonso didn't really jink. Alonso just got close enough that Perez got a bit spooked thought he felt the need to defend the inside line went a bit a little bit wide and then picking up on Brad's point that was a very good point and this is quite trusting of Alonso that Alonso only just cleared Perez you're steaming towards the braking zone you see Alonso visibly look over look over check his mirror that is in front of Perez and quickly swipe in front and then slam the brakes on because it's the braking zone. Now you have to have <laughs> an awful lot of trust yeah. in the skill of your competitor that when you swipe in front of them and essentially slam the brakes on in the braking zone, Perez probably preempted this was going to happen and immediately started to right. swish back to the outside and it got very close. But I, I clenched some of my muscles a bit when uh, when I saw Alonso do that because I was like I think I thought Perez was going to do a Verstappen 1994 and plow into the back of it. I'd say Matt that I'm just so glad that that battle happened at the end. It was like a it was a little reward, but it was a bit of an endurance test watching that race. So it was an, a reward. That that battle was pure joy. I really enjoyed that. It really was, but I think it also illustrates one of the worst things about this race which is the powerful DRS drag down to turn four, absolutely ruining people working very hard to make overtakes into turn one. And lest you think me, non-racer making this complaint, I do believe it was Leclerc complaining about it bitterly on the radio, is, is we do all this work to catch someone over the whole lap, then they get DRS down to turn four, and all of our work is essentially 
wasted. I do believe that they did not have the DRS properly tuned for the way the cars were running at this race. I just want to help out any of our newer listeners or fans of the sport who have joined in the last few years with Carl's reference to Verstappen 94, because um, it, it was it 94, you said? Sorry, uh, it was 94 when it had the huge crash with Brundle down there uh, when he was in the thing. And also it was 2001 when he went into the back of Montoya. and <laughs> Okay, so there's a lot there of people go. thinking, why would the current champion be crashing into the commentator? Sorry, Jos Verstappen, not Max. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there we go. I just wanted to point out it was, was Max's dad. And yeah, I didn't even tag, I didn't even... Um, Noticed that you said 94. I just knew that you were talking about Yoss crashing into Montoya at that same corner. <laughs> I have to Go say, check it out on yeah. YouTube. Yeah. But I have to say, like, like, this is a track, this is a racer's track. You know, we really get to see the drivers making a difference. And we, like 21, we saw Hamilton in, in, the, in a bit of a rocket ship in the spicy engine that Williams may or may not have helped with the improvements of, uh, allegedly. So we saw him pulling off smart overtakes and working his way around people. Today, though, it, he was one of the examples where you go, oh, surely he normally races better than that. So that, that first restart, once he'd already got third place before the red flag, it was disappointing then to see him lose out to Norris, lose out to Alonso. I know it ultimately wouldn't have mattered in the end, but it felt like I, I'm not sure we are seeing Hamilton at his best when it comes to the wheel to wheel at the moment. Is that is that too harsh, Kyle? I don't think so at all. I've said this a couple of times i think believe on on the show and a lot in our group chat that i think the sort of later career lewis hamilton as we've seen from a few sort of clumsy incidents is i definitely don't think he's sharp as sharp as wheel to wheel as 2007 2008 hamilton for instance and team lh please don't kill me i do like lewis but i think that's just a cold hard fact that in his later career he has seemed to have lost a bit of the edge off of his um wheel to wheel capability there was one particular incident. Um, I, I can't remember if it was uh, after the first or second start, but Hamilton just basically left the door open down to turn four. And it seemed a moment, I think it was Norris he let back through up the inside. And it seemed like it would have just been so easy just to go slightly further left and, and kind of, you don't even have to go all the way to the grass. You just have to not leave a full car width. If there's not not a full car width space, then they can't come down the inside. And he just kind of left it open. And I appreciate there are reasons for it in terms of, you know, you don't want to drive on the dirty part of the track if you don't have to. And ultimately it made no difference to the race result. It's probably better for him, if anything, because he, you know, he didn't lose time then fighting for another few laps. But uh, I don't think that was the reason he didn't defend it fully. I, I think in the moment he really wanted to stay ahead. So I see a couple of things like that where maybe Lewis of the past would have just been a bit more ruthless and maybe when it comes to the crunch, he, you know, if it's a championship fight again, maybe he will be a bit more. Um, but yeah, but we, we definitely spoke about a couple of, a couple of soft um, racing um, situations that he could have been maybe slightly harsher with. Yeah. And in this race in particular, after their sort of um, their sprint race and the weekend leading up, I think it kind of looked a bit like um, he kind of like, almost knew that they were going to slip back and they were struggling already. And even though he wanted to fight, I don't think he was fighting stuff to the bitter end because I think he was kind of resigned to the fact that he was going to slip backwards. So he wasn't getting his elbows out fully. So there's a, the old joke is I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I ever was. 
And it may be that Lewis is headed towards that territory, but I'm more of a mind, especially because he'd already had a sprint race and run a whole 24 laps. He knew very well the car was not correctly set up for this, that he didn't have the pace, that the car didn't have the cooling. And I don't think he was going to be looking after anything other than, one, finishing in front of George. And two, not having any kind of an accident towards however high up the grid he could manage to cling on to as, as he slid back down. I mean, the Mercedes was just yeah, I was dreadful gonna... <laughs> in this race. And I think it was a surprise to their engineers as well as their drivers. But yeah, they were terrible. Well, I think we can save that misery for, for a little bit later in the show because uh, just, just to linger a little bit, though, Matt, on... What a great sure. result this must have been for Aston Martin after just negative, 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 negative. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing you really want to look at is where Stroll finishes. Because Alonso will always extract the maximum and then convince you that that's 120% of what was actually capable. And I think he did that today very clearly. But if you would Stroll finish, what, fifth, I believe? I mean, the Aston had pace for both of their drivers, they had the pace in the sprint. I watched, I watched the sprint, some of the timing, and the only thing I really remember about the sprint is thinking, geez, man, the Astons just, they got the pace over everybody except for maybe Max and Perez and, you know, possibly one of the other front runners, which, you know, of course, yeah. over a long race, Ferrari never turns up the way you expect, so. Uh, let's have Brad then, Kyle. Sorry, Brad, I thought you had your, your hand in the air to make an Aston point, but we can go to... Oh. My my point was just I was saying fifth. I was agreeing oh, with Matt that Stroll came okay. fifth. But I, you I you saying fifth looks exactly like putting your hand up and going, "Hey, I'd like a point." But uh, I'm I, sorry. <laughs> I'll write it on paper next time. I'm going to hold it up. Don't let him off that easy. Now he's got to say something <laughs> nice about Alonso. Okay, but I know that Kyle was going to big up Lance Stroll today. Yeah, well, Lance Stroll over the whole weekend really was doing was doing really quite well. I mean, he on the Friday he managed to out qualify. Alonso, and it wasn't really spoken about that much, but I think he qualified third. There were third and fourth. He was somewhat undone in this race by two sets of bad starts. I mean, the first start, both Astons had a terrible getaway. Uh, Alonso managed to get a better getaway in the second start, whereas Stroll got another terrible getaway and dropped back down to seventh. So to come back to fifth after being compromised for quite a lot of the start of the race was actually really quite good. I mean, the director... I felt sorry for the Stroll fans. I mean, they they do exist. They are out there. I know of at least one in the wild, which is who is out there. Um, I felt sorry for them because the coverage on Sky at least managed mm. to miss Stroll passing Hamilton pretty okay. much completely. And it was only about five laps later when the commentary noticed <laughs> that it actually happened. <laughs> oh, you yeah, could just see it in the one. foreground when they were looking at the pit lane. You could actually see he got up the inside of turn one. But Stroll actually, yeah, it just goes to show that Aston, after taking their upgrades off of the car, has, finally, <laughs> yes. has suddenly started going really quick oh, again. No. And the fact that Stroll was up there on it all weekend, he he does have these outliers. He does have these super, super good weekends that we've seen. I think it was 2020 in Turkey oh. when he was absolutely awesome. No, no hang weekend. on. No, he, he just got pole. That was it. He didn't, didn't he disappear? Uh, he was leading about two thirds of the race until he got oh. front wing damage and oh, then okay. dropped in. Then, then plummeted so like a I stone think once you're they changed Actually, tires. that's not 2022. I think that was that was racing that was point. 2020. Yeah, it was racing point. Oh, sorry, did you say yeah. 2020? Yeah, that was still racing point. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he qualified on pole, and then he dropped back on race pace, and then they said he had some wing damage. 
there was no photo of the wing damage. There was no. But anyway, he, there was no he, witness statement about the wing damage. <laughs> he he had a fantastic weekend this weekend. So yeah, it just goes to show that that Aston car was genuinely fast. Okay, but Brad, I was having a whinge several shows back where I was going, look, can we see how badly Stroll's doing? But I did say he's going to have that one result where he pop and everyone will go, see, what say you now? But And I think that's what we've got. <laughs> I mean, he didn't beat his teammate. Yes. Okay, so I agree with you. And we do have this phenomenon where Stroll tends to maybe get away with underperforming for a really long period of time and then have one result in weird circumstances, like the qualifying yeah. in the damp um where he'll you know he'll do pretty well or like or really decently like he did in in that qualifying session this weekend but then it'll be back to back to normal soon afterwards and as you said in the main race uh, in in the main event he didn't beat his teammate although for stroll i was (laughs) i was surprised at how close he was to alonso in the end that's the that's probably the closest i can get to praise for him the car clearly took a step forward this weekend because of from what I've read, I think this was engine mode 11. I saw on Twitter. Uh, he, he mentioned that it seemed that they had a hybrid of their updates yes, this weekend. That, so yeah. they kind of gone backwards in some areas, kept some of the other pieces to try and mix and match the arrow that worked. Um, and, and it seemed to, we'll have to see another weekend to, to know if that's, if it's a trend, but stroll, did better than I thought he would do, finished closer to Alonso than I thought he would, but still was a little way off despite Alonso mm. having a big fight towards the end. So I can't give him massive praise. They are driving the same car yeah. and there's no way he's not being, you know, he's not getting the same treatment as Alonso. So he's not done a spectacular job. So to, to be, to, before I get too much hate, so I'm, I'm obviously downplaying this because I, I don't want to damn Lance Stroll with faint praise. I have the same criticism of people calling this a return to form for Sergio Perez because he shouldn't really have been fighting for a a podium and finishing fourth. He should have been qualifying comfortably second or third on the grid and then being maybe a little way behind behind Verstappen. So I've got exactly the same criticism with Perez when people were treating this as, oh, he's back. Ah, thank goodness. After, you know, the troubles he was having was, was tragic troubles way away from where he's supposed to be this isn't even where Perez was supposed to be finishing so you know as a Perez fan I'm not excited about him nearly finishing third behind a slower car yeah Perez has effectively lowered his own bar of expectation and, by being rubbish for ages so yes. now he does a mediocre thing yeah. and we're like yeah he's he's fine now so that's the same Kyle that's what we're doing with Stroll sorry I'm not you know mm. yeah yeah it's just Way well done. He's had a great result because he's done the bare minimum of what we expected him to do in the first place. Yeah, um, yeah, ish. But it's not often that we can say good race, Lance. Isn't okay, so fine, I'm going to yeah. say good race, Lance. That's just to pre- please the stroll fan. Yeah, that's that's what I'm like with my least favorite kid when they they just scrape a C and you go, oh, okay, <laughs> well done, well done. And then and then it's okay because I've got I've got the good one, so that that's fine. All right, we can't go too much further without going to the top two, Matt. Was there even a glimmer? Was there even a... Mo- there was two little moments. One where Verstappen forgot that he was meant to be... You know, he accidentally nearly got into a race there for a second. And then the other moment was when Norris came out on softs and he suddenly banged in a 1.112, you know, two seconds faster than Verstappen. Uh, and I guess the other half moment was when he was leading and had a little bit of a safety car window where you go, ooh, well, Piastri's at the back doing nothing. Uh, maybe, yeah. Uh- 
maybe he parks up somewhere. But yeah, was there ever really a, a fight? Yes, Ooh. there was. It did not last long. Okay. It was like a Mike Tyson special over in 30 seconds. I'm glad All that's right. the so example. So Mike Tyson is a boxer who was renowned from the for knocking days. people out in the first round back in the way, way back times, kids. Just take my word for it or go watch him of his fights because he was really incredible in his prime. But yeah, no, there was. This is this is actually, um, aside from, I think, Singapore, was it where Red Bull got everything completely wrong? I think this is the first time we have seen a genuine attempt to take the lead away from Max in a fair fight on a dry track by a car that wasn't also driven by a Red Bull driver. And it was remarkable to see Norris put that pressure on him. I think he could have put more pressure on him. I think if they both crashed out, that would have been okay too. Would have been interesting in a different way. But in the end, Norris knew that he didn't quite have the pace. What really struck me about this, and and I had it as lap eight, where he got his closest, is having gotten that close, it was almost four laps before his tires and car recovered enough that he could actually begin to maybe try and pressure Max again. And therein, I think, lies the difference between the Red Bull right now and the McLaren. To me, McLaren is clearly the second best car right now in the hands of Norris. Piastri's still learning. We'll give him that. But in the hands of Norris, it is the closest thing we are going to see to a Red Bull beater till the end of the year and the start of next season when everyone gets a chance to erase what they think they were mistakes and show up with some new stuff to impress us. Yeah, it was... um... I was quite surprised by that because, as you say, you, it was like Mike Tyson, well, an almost like a Prince Nazim Hamid, who's a boxer from a different era. Does no one have Tyson. a more up-to-date boxing reference? Um, yeah. <laughs> Can... <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, when Norris actually got close, I thought Max was almost intentionally not pushing too hard in the opening lap. So I think he was kind of doing a bit of a carrot dangle for his mate and trying to make it a bit more entertaining. And then Norris got a little bit too close and Max <laughs> is like, oh, oh, sod this. No, I'm taking my sweets and whoops. And I'm yeah. and I'm going home. And he just checked out. Just he just sort of went. But as Matt was saying, it yeah. took Norris four laps to recover. He may have just been like spamming his battery to try and get that close to get that one little sniff. And then he needed four laps of recovery. Uh, Matt then, Brad. Oh, yeah. No, I completely agree. I, I, I'm i pretty sure they just said, let's bet it all on red 38 kids. And it was black 37, but it was very, very close. And then and then that was pretty much the end. They knew at that point they weren't going to really be able. Once he lost ERS, it, it was kind of all all over. They had exactly one shot. They played their best card and it was a pretty good card. It was very entertaining. Made the eighth lap of the race great to watch. But what I do want to bring up, you know, you say that that Max was dangling. What was interesting to me was that when Max ran the sprint race, and I remember this from the radio calls, he was being told to manage in turns six and seven. But it seemed like very much today in the race that it was turns 11 and 12 that were really causing the problems for people's tires. And again, if we go back to where Alonzo was able to make the difference with Perez, that's where your better tire managers mm-hmm. were able to eke out some of those really important tents over the course of the whole race. And and to an extent, that's what we saw with Max. Max had a car that made that more possible than Lando did. So I'm really hoping that McLaren continue on this because if they keep this trajectory up, we're going to see some epic battles next season. 
Yeah, I, I was actually going to pretty much echo what Matt and Kyle said about the Lando Max um, scenario. We, what we were seeing was a Red Bull that was kind of chilling out and a, and a McLaren on full attack at that point. And they, that meant they were roughly equal for a moment. And then that yeah. fizzled out pretty quickly. But that turns 11 and 12 um, point that Matt brought up. You heard that with the Mercedes drivers where Russell was on the radio asking, effectively asking the team to tell Hamilton to back off a bit more, manage more in turns 11 and 12, because he wasn't able to keep up through there. And so Hamilton was pulling away too much. And obviously Russell wanted to stick in his DRS. So I think that was a key part of the track. For, for the management the guys who could manage their tires well there and maintain a high speed were, were really getting a benefit all right let's uh we're gonna drop down the order just a little bit i don't really want to but we're going to <laughs> stupid w14 always always making me sad always making me and bradley sad we were so sure brad we were so sure that there was going to be a mercedes challenge but basically before we get into the drivers side of it inherently well in fact let's let's go with the drivers we'll start with you matt what was inherently wrong with the mercedes this weekend yes no okay (laughs) okay good (laughs) any any advice (laughs) the setup was wrong the downforce Mm. levels were wrong the cooling seemed like it was wrong too even though they were able to adjust it i actually had a thought and wondered if that was maybe not ultimately again related to the non-zero pods concept being hung on a zero pods frame there may just be limits the track temperature was the ambient temperature was seven degrees C cooler. The track temperature was still like 47 or 48 during the race. So they got no benefit, no help at all in managing the tires. And then weirdly, the tires for everyone just really didn't work at all with this track. I don't know if there was just a lack of evolution or the big rainstorm washed away all the rubber that might have helped them, but it's weird the medium tire in Brazil being worse than the soft tire in heat like this. So, yeah, I don't know. A lot, and none of it did they get right. Uh, let's go to Kyle. Yeah, so with the car, and particularly after what happened in the previous sprint weekend in Cota, I think this looked like the car just operating completely outside of its window where it needs to operate. Toto said... um, that they were slow on the straights and they were slow in the corners. They were sliding around. So I think Mercedes may have built in a bit of extra caution on their ride height to preserve the plank after what happened to them in Cota. And they, the car just never got inside its correct operating window. And you get that one session on a sprint weekend with next to no time. You've got to do a few laps. You can't make that many mechanical changes. You make, And then you take a bit of a punt, you know, between qualifying starting and that's it if you don't get that punt or your guesstimation right you're outside of the window so they they clearly had cooling issues which mercedes traditionally have always seemed to struggle with cooling even before in the previous rule set mercedes always seemed to be a bit vulnerable when it was super hot so of course you open up the cooling big events means more drag the concept is quite draggy anyway as matt said this is side pods bolted on to a node side pod concept chassis so They've, they may have lost a bit of rotation that they had last year where they still had the no side pods. It's a bit of a hodgepodge of a car. So yeah, it looked, it was just never got in this operating window and then destroyed the tires. So they were all, they just looked like lambs to the slaughter really. When anyone got anywhere near them, they were, they were just sitting ducks. Hamilton after the race was quoted as saying, and this is obviously, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said they had 
no grip from the floor. The floor wasn't working, so they bolted on a load of downforce, and that meant they were really slow on the straights, and and they still didn't really have much grip even with that. So I think it was just a, a whole culmination of various things. And if they had an opportunity to go back and, and adjust the setup, they they maybe would have chosen a different compromise because it can't have been much worse. But yeah. the one they selected definitely didn't work. So I, I only caught it briefly. You know how quickly like our streams and our Slack group and the Twitter flies by. But I did catch something where they said perhaps because it was sprint weekend again, they went a little bit higher because they were paranoid about falling for the the plank regulation. Plank. Yeah, yeah, again, like they did. And like in Mexico, when they had more practice sessions, they could be more sure, but they didn't want to risk a disqualification. But to be honest, I mean, they may as well have done. <laughs> Well, you know, what did they gain? So for the, what, what did Hamilton get? Four points or, or three yeah. points for finishing, four points finishing for finishing eighth. eighth. Then yeah. you go, well, pff, they may as well have, have rolled the dice. And maybe Toto Wolf was correct in Kota when he said, well, I, I wouldn't do things differently because we went for it and it, it didn't work out. But then when there was the opportunity to do something the same or do it differently, they instantly have gone then for the different, if I've got this right. So yeah, very, very conservative, like you said, Red Bull, Singapore-esque, uh, type performance. But I think that brings us on to the driver. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Whilst Lewis Hamilton seemed to have a fairly sensible race managing his tyres and managing his temperatures, George Russell took a very different approach. And I, I think this is going. This is optically a bad race for George Russell. I think he hasn't come across well. It sounded like he perhaps lost the confidence of the pit wall a little bit. It was very aggressive and passive aggressive, and he seemed to get it very, very wrong. So, Brad, am I being harsh when I say George Russell really got this race wrong in a lot of ways well in the sprint race he seemed to get it more right in the sprint race he seemed to have the pace over hamilton on one stint on the softs but as you pointed out yesterday it's not the same when you're running on full tanks and you've got a longer race to run and hamilton does seem to excel at this particular thing knowing exactly how to treat the tires to make them last as well as they can 
over a stint. Although obviously today it was rubbish. He was less rubbish than Russell in terms of, you know, the performance of the car and driver combined. And Russell seemed to, he, he seemed to feel like he, he should either be let through. So he'd have the clean air and he could go, or he needed Hamilton to drive in a very specific way to give him just enough slipstream and DRS but also not hold him up in the wrong places. He needed something very particular, whilst Hamilton was kind of just getting on with his own race, managing his own temperatures, managing his own tyres, and and obviously doing it in a way that ended up being slightly better because when Russell did eventually get passed by other teams, competitors, he fell away. You know, when he wasn't being kind of helped along by Hamilton, he always seemed to drop back significantly. And it, it did look like, and this is a trend we see with Russell, maybe he was taking more out of his tyres at the beginning of the stint, you know, working them harder. Maybe this is because he was in dirty air as well for, for much of the race, but, and then not having as much left towards the end and then falling back even further. So I think Russell, Russell didn't come across brilliantly, but I don't think it's any different to how he's come across in other similar, similar situations. Suzuka where, you know, his, his radio was something like, you know, am I fighting? Are we fighting each other or, or yeah. the others? Yeah, you know, it's the same kind today. of thing. He did that today. Oh, I'm not gonna. I mean, he started off all generous, didn't he? Uh, I'm not gonna. Yeah. I'm not gonna fight. I'm a pretty chill guy. And then a lap later, hey, thinking about it, maybe we should, you know, do the old switcheroo. Uh, with that, I actually think his radio message was mis- misunderstood again okay. Okay. by Sky when he come on and he was giving this uh, feedback and he goes, "Look, um, we're really, we're, I'm really struggling here." I'm having to push so hard in turns 11 and 12, which is the penultimate corner and the final corner. The ones on the pit straight don't really count. So that's really high load. You're killing your front and your rear tires having to push really hard in there. So, and then the sky commentary kind of um, picked up on that as he was being asked to being let through. But what he actually said was I'm having to push so hard in turns 11 and 12 that, that Lewis needs to do more management in that, in those corners or I get let ahead. So what he was actually saying was I'm struggling to stay in his DRS zone. He Lewis is pushing too hard in these corners. I even need to be ahead or Lewis needs to back off a bit more. So I don't have to push so hard through 11 and 12 because I'm killing my tires trying to stay in his DRS zone. So it was actually the opposite of what a lot of people thought he said. He was saying like, oh, he's struggling to hang on. Either let okay. me through yeah. or, or make sure Lewis backs off a little bit more because I can't manage my time. Well, that still sounds like a, a trick to get let through, though. That still <laughs> sounds like let me through. A little bit, but he was saying, well, the only other alternative would be to let me through, but I cannot look after my tyres. And then Lewis, as soon as Russell did drop out of Lewis's DRS zone, he got absolutely munched by yeah. cars behind. But on the medium stint, though, why I'm not quite on board with, with, with that, I still think he was sort of trying to get let ahead was that period of silence where he then said, uh, well, I haven't said anything on the radio because uh, I would think it would be pretty obvious, guys. Um, you're obviously meant to be letting me through, Brad. Yeah, so I have a, a bit of an opinion on this, which is like, I like Russell and I think he's great. And I think I've been pretty consistent in that view. But in these situations where you're on a long stint and he happens to catch Hamilton. It doesn't happen all the time, but sometimes you have a situation like on the mediums today where he does catch up and today he didn't say anything and he had that kind of passive aggressive style radio transmission that you just mentioned. <laughs> you know, I, I haven't said anything because I thought it was obvious. Yeah. He seems to forget that Hamilton in general will still be going quicker towards the end of the stint than he will. It's like he, the, there's a reason you've caught him up. 
And that's because soon you won't be able to stick with him. You know, as this stint progresses, the reason you've caught him is because you've taken too much out of your tyres in this stint. He's preserved them. He's driven in a way which means he's going to be able to go quicker at the end of the stint. And maybe think about that rather than he's just holding me up for whatever reason. That, that's something I've seen a few times with George this season. Well, I kind of love this because one of the things about this particular circuit is it's incredibly difficult for tire management. You have a lot of stress on a front tire and you have an immense amount of stress on your rear tires. And so it really does start to show up who's gotten on top of managing them throughout the entirety of the lap and is able to keep all of these parameters, including the engine cooling, which is an issue for Mercedes as well that we mentioned. And it's just like, it's like a, a cooking show I watched once in which a talented cooking student and a professional chef cook the same dish and gradually the student's dish falls apart while the professional chef's obviously comes together perfectly. And at the end, he basically patiently explains, well, if you go back and look at the size of your veg, you've chopped them quite inconsistently. And that led to the downfall of your entire thing. Russell's race didn't fall apart because he's a terrible racer, because he has no talent. It's just because he hasn't quite mastered the art of chopping his veg at exactly the same size as Lewis fairly, very clearly has. Okay, but that's quite a, a major flaw, really, isn't it? Because he's not a rookie. So when you say, oh, he's going to, he'll get the hang of it eventually, he's been at a top team. For, for for multiple years, and he had multiple years before that in Formula One, it seems weird that we get to this point and he's pushing very hard early in the stint and then kind of being surprised he's not being allowed through and seeming to ignore calls for... And I'll see if I've misinterpreted this, Kyle. He seemed to be ignoring calls to manage. So he said they were telling him to manage more, I think, into Turn 10. Hamilton, I picked up from someone telling me with the radio messages... Uh, was managing the temperatures from from very early on. So I don't know whether that was tyre temperatures or engine temperatures, but he was lifting and coasting a lot and not leaning on the tyres. And Russell's getting annoyed being held held up behind him. So like, how, does, how has he got to this point? And it seems like such a big fail today that he didn't manage the tyres or the engine temperatures. And that's just, you know, something that, that most of the top drivers do and do well. Um, in George's defence, I think... Both Mercedes, their backs were up against the wall somewhat with the temperatures. And he said Lewis having to manage from quite early on. George was stuck in the Lewis train, essentially, in that first stint. He had Perez right up his chaff and he was stuck behind Lewis and he couldn't do much. So he needed to keep pulling out of the slipstream. But if he pulled out the slipstream, he'd leave himself vulnerable to Perez. So he was kind of a he was kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place, really. He, his only other option was to back right off like completely off of Lewis and then he would have been passed anyway so uh, I'm not sure what, what much more he could have done really I think both Mercedes were on the edge on on the overheating issue and we never actually saw Hamilton following other cars so he never actually was in that situation when he was stuck in the train so we don't know what you know if his temperatures would have got that critical as well but in George's defense I'm not sure he could have done too much more on temperature management he was a bit screwed Okay, I'm fairly sure Brad has an opinion for us here. I, I agree with Kyle. I just wanted to say, as a Mercedes well-wisher, you know, in general, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of pro-Mercedes. I always am filled with dread when I see Russell 
start a stint ahead of Hamilton for whatever reason, if he's if he's out qualified him or whatever. Generally, when they qualify, with one out qualifies the other, it's quite close. But if Russell's the one ahead in a race stint, I'm always thinking, ah, he's probably going to be in the way at some point. We saw it in Singapore when, towards the end of the race, there was that final stint when Hamilton started off a bit more gently. Russell went absolutely flat out at the beginning. And then as it got towards the end of the race, before Russell clipped the barrier, Hamilton had closed right in and looked to probably be the more competitive car at the end. And every time there's a situation where it is Russell in front, for whatever reason, you know, he's, he's always there legitimately. He's done a better job at a different phase of the weekend if he's in that position. Um, but I'm always frustrated because I think when it comes to the racing side, Hamilton is the one that just, for whatever reason, has got the tyre management sussed. And for modern Formula One with this generation of cars, he just seems to have the better race management. Years and years and years of experience is probably going to be my response to that one. But speaking of race experiences, we've been talking about Mercedes, which had a fairly miserable race experience, but that was nothing compared to Ferrari. All right. So who had the worst? All right. So tell me now, gentlemen, who had the worst race, Leclerc or Sainz? Because Sainz actually had to finish the race in a Ferrari. Uh, it's got to be, it's got to be Paul, Paul Charles, isn't it? I mean, I mean, when he did, when that happened, I did think, oh no, poor Charles goes, he's going to miss his opportunity to slip back through the grid and finish a very unsatisfactory, unsatisfactory fifth or sixth after some bad strategy calls. And he was denied that opportunity. He was robbed that opportunity by the hydraulics failing. And instead he passed the, the slip back misery baton over to Mercedes, but actually, Sainz, I thought, had a pretty strong race considering the Ferrari did not look like a great car this weekend. So he actually fought his way back to sixth, I think, but he was started ninth. So actually, Sainz did, Sainz did all right. But yeah, what an absolute disaster for, for Charles Leclerc. But actually, I think he was spared a rather frustrating slip down the field drive, personally. Come so, on, Brad. Make the Ferrari fans feel better here. Say something nice. Oh, okay. Leclerc didn't make a mistake. That's something nice. I, when I first saw him in the barrier, I thought, oh my goodness, he's lit the rears up on the warm-up lap and just lost it and found his way to a barrier. I mean, the barriers are quite far from the track most of the way around into Lagos. So it would have been a bit of a, a big job to hit, those, hit that wall just from a mistake, but it wasn't that at all. And the moment we heard him say hydraulics on the radio, then you could go back and watch his onboard from the replays. It became quite clear what had happened. He, he basically had a hydraulic failure on his approach to whatever that uphill double right-hander is called. His steering went heavy. That kind of put him offline, started to lose the rear. And, and in his words, he then, the, the rear locked up or there was something strange with the engine. Probably, as Kyle mentioned in our chat, the diff locked up or, or some system that's controlled by hydraulics, you know, locked up and failed. And And he also didn't have the steering feel or weight or power to to correct it easily not that it would have really mattered because it was already broken and then he found his way to the wall so yeah i think you're right it's probably spared a bit of an annoying race he still would have scored some decent points and he is in a bit of a fight with science in the championship you know they're not that many points apart from each other what is it 20 or so points um so it does look like science is the one that's going to finish ahead this year though kyle yeah and what it did kind of deprive us of was if he did start second i think he probably would have fully, fully tried to send it on Max and tried to get ahead. And if he could have 
could have jumped Max, then we would have had a bit more of a spicy opening to the race because he would have held him up for a couple of laps and then maybe pushed him back into 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 Norris. So because I'm I fully believe that I don't think Norris would put would try to put a rude move onto Max. I don't think he'd dare. So um I think Leclerc, who wouldn't matter, I think he would have just fully sent it on Max. And so I was a bit I did have a bit of a groan when I saw it because I was like, ah, it's the chance of somebody's really going to get fighty on Max. Max has just been given an open goal now just to sort of go. But yeah, poor Charles. And when it actually initially happened, like Brad said, and everyone's going about hydraulic failure and steering, you can see it was because it wasn't something, something locked the rear wheels, like something went because it just snapped on him so quick. And he wasn't at full racing speed, but he still went to the barriers pretty hard. So I believe he managed to start the engine back up using the battery pack and then instantly knew that there was something there was something wrong, but I did like his panics trying to get back to the pits as if he had a chance to restart, which was never going to happen. So Adrian in the chat is just pointing out that Leclerc may have said after the race, it wasn't actually hydraulics. He said it on the radio at the time, whatever it was, there was some kind of failure, which made his steering get heavier and, and the rear end lock up. So it might not have actually been hydraulics. So for, for full clarity, but it was some kind of similar failure. All right, Brad. So how do I, as a Leclerc plant, as a Leclerc fan, not take personally the fact that you thought he might have just genuinely crashed the car rather than it being some kind of failure. Oh, because, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, on cold tires at the beginning of a race, warming up your your car and your tires, people make mistakes. We've seen Verstappen go in the wall in a warm-up lap before. It, it happens because the cars are being operated well below what they're designed to be operated at and sometimes you can get caught out i think probably every driver on the grid at some point in their even in their f1 career has probably made a bit of a boo-boo on the way to the grid or or on a slow lap in a practice session so it it can happen and we know that leclerc to, to steal a phrase from a different f1 podcast we know leclerc has a bit of a bozo gene occasionally <laughs> uh, this also like crashing on the warm-up lap and not making the start is quite in my memory at least is quite a ferrari sort of thing so i think back to the warm-up lap of manny core 1996 and schumacher blowing up in the ferrari before on the warm-up lap the engine blew up and then again on the sighting lap to the grid in china in 2005 schumacher remember having a, a huge coming together with i think it was zoltz baumgartner in the minardi and completely wrote his car off on the way to the grid on the sighting lap so in in memory, as soon as it happened, I instantly thought of those two, and I can't think of any other sort of teams having, you know, very obviously distinct problems on the way to the grid. But initially, when it happened, before I saw the replay, I was like, surely not. That must be a mechanical, or if somebody punted him. I thought maybe somebody had punted him. I I just didn't think that he could make a mistake like that. But as you said, Bozo Gene, could do. Uh, Kyle being sensible and appeasing the Leclerc Stan Fossey. I, I like that. I, I do recall, I think there was one maybe in Russia where someone just absolutely sent it into the side of the wall, maybe behind the safety car or something like that. I think it's easier to do in a Formula One car than a lot of people realize because of the enormous power to weight ratio. It's well over one horsepower per kilogram. And so like all you got to do is like sneeze when you're trying to be gentle on the throttle and you're suddenly pointed the wrong direction and headed towards flames. Brad. Yeah. And what most people who haven't driven on slick racing tires probably don't realize is that the difference between cold tires and that they're slick Sorry. And, and up to temperature tires is, is nothing like a road tire. You know, when you leave your house, even if you're in a powerful 
supercar or something, your road tires operate immediately, or at least even on the sportiest possible road tire, they operate with a little bit of temperature in. Whereas a slick F1 tire is absolutely terrible when it's cold, even though it's an amazing tire in about two minutes time. At the moment you, you give it some beans when it's cold, you may as well just have stone tires on the sun. Anyway, that's oh, why it's possible of, that, uh, that could have been a mistake. Uh, losing control of your car. We do have one more whose fault is it? Whose fault is it? <laughs> I'm going to stay out of this one. <laughs> All right, so in the qualifying, we had an incident between... Was it the sprint qualifying? I think it was the sprint qualifying. Um, it's not a qualifying. It's the shootout. Sprint yes. shootout. Oh. Shut up, all of it. Uh, I'll <laughs> have a win about this later. It's a sprint shootout. It's oh, not okay. a qualifying. So in the shootout. the qualifying region of France. In yeah. the shootout, Norris got, and they were very careful, actually, on the team radio, not to say you got pole. You know, they were, well done. You got, in fact, this was quite an interesting side note. They go, uh, you got P1. And Norris went, oh, that felt terrible. That lap felt awful. Like he had no idea he was on P1. And it was the same on Friday as well. I think with the, with Verstappen finishing P1 in Q2, he also thought he'd had a terrible lap and he ended up in P1. So interesting that, you know, these tyres that the drivers were complaining about this weekend never delivered something satisfying, even though it was fast. But Ocon seemingly lost control and speared into Fernando Alonso. And I, I thought this was going to be no debate, but all over social media, there has been fierce debates about whose, whose fault it was. Alonso staying out of the way, hard maybe in the middle-ish of the track, and then Ocon ended up kind of having a big moment and spearing into Alonso. Where, where do we start with this? Because, Brad, I thought it was so just obvious that Ocon had made a mistake and crashed into a, a slow car. Okay, let's, let's give the full context kind of almost as it happened so the first view i certainly saw of this i think the first view everyone saw was alonzo's on board where my initial reaction was oh alonzo's just turned into ocon it's definitely alonzo's fault you then saw ocon's on board and it became immediately clear that he'd had a big swapper on the curb on the exit of the center s and he'd effectively walked his car into the path of alonzo so alonzo was staying out of the way knowing cars were coming although he's not obliged to stay as far away as possible. He doesn't have to drive up next to the barrier. He just has to leave enough room for the car to come through and effectively not get in their way, not impede them. He left way more than a car's width, a car and a half's width. And at the moment, he expected Ocon to be just driving around on the normal line, a bit tight to the inside by the white line of the exit of the centre S's on that long left-hander. At that exact moment, Ocon then ran wide. You know, he got sideways, corrected it, and, and that walked him to the right. And Alonso, at that very moment, had chosen to just tighten his line slightly because he assumed there would be enough room that he could just stay off the fully dirty part of the track. And the next thing he knew, a car had completely wiped out his front left suspension, and he was thinking, what on earth just happened? Now, and um, yeah. that well, wasn't the view of Ocon, though. That isn't what he thought happened. So, Matt, that's fine. We're all allowed to be fans of people, but Matt, um, you're not alone. A lot of people sort of try to blame Alonso a little bit for that. Well, I mean... So, the interesting thing about this discussion is how much margin does the non-hot-lapping driver leave for the hot-lapping driver? Now, to, to follow up with what Brad has said... His assessment of it was exactly my assessment. He got inside over the curbs, lost the rear, caught it, and into Alonzo he went, who had left enough room for a car to go by. And then today I saw a 
more people putting out video evidence that showed that it, it really did look like Alonzo had collected the car prior to contact with Alonzo. Mm. Uh, but the thing that I, I don't think I shared with the group, but I did go back and look, is because I did remember seeing an onboard shot on the replay of Alonzo turning pretty hard to the left. And by hard, I'm going to very specifically describe that he turned his steering wheel steering perpendicular wheel. to the to the asphalt. And he actually did that the same second that he had contact with Alcon. Now, I'm still not assigning blame yet, but if we go and do look at the stewards who assigned no blame to either party, which is very boring for us, yes. I know. We can ignore They that. mentioned very clearly this narrowing of the gap by Alonzo as being part of the reason why neither driver was wholly or predominantly to blame. And it, it, it brings up this thorny question of how much deference... How much margin should you, as a non-hot-lapping driver, really leave for the hot-lapping driver? So I have a couple of points. The first one is actually going to be in defense of Ocon and probably Matt's position. Stop. Stop. <laughs> um, when you watch the pole lap, uh, oh, hang on, the, the, whatever, yeah, yeah. the, the, P1. the sprint shootout yeah, yeah, P1 yeah, lap yeah. from um, Norris. Norris We're uses edit that out. Norris uses a bunch of curb at that same corner also gets oversteer and also walks the car slightly wide. So there is an argument to say that it's not completely out of the question that a normal exit to that corner can involve some oversteer and running yeah. slightly wide. But my counter to my own point there is <laughs> when you overlay that amount of oversteer, which is even that is not normal, that you'd say that yeah. wasn't desirable from Norris. He didn't want that to happen. Um, if you overlay that with what Ocon did, Ocon ran so wide that I think regardless of Alonso turning left yeah, he could just have been before further the, the contact, yeah. I think they were still going to make contact. I think Ocon would have still slammed into the front of him. Um, it might have just been you know, half a metre further towards the front of Alonso's car. So maybe you just would have wiped off his front wing or something. But I, I can't see any real way that unless there is a predefined specific amount of room you have to leave for a driver on a hot lap, which is two car widths or something like that, if if we go by precedent, which is you just have to leave enough room so you don't impede them on their normal lap, then it's Ocon's yeah. fault. And I don't really buy into Ocon's description of what happened. And no. you, know, you can say, yes, I saved it, but yeah. that doesn't matter. You could You could save it and prevent the car spinning or going in the barriers and go all the way to the edge of the track, but there are often cars minding their own business at the edge of the track, yeah, getting yeah. out of your way. Go on, Carl. Last, last one. Yeah. So, yeah, again, in Ocon's defence, I think he's frustrated that Alonso was just there. He was probably slightly slightly distracted. You could argue that if Alonso wasn't there, he wouldn't have made the mistake and gone wide and hit the curb. Alonso was trying to leave as little room as he could, but as Jose Coig has just put into our group chat, you can clearly see there's quite a lot of room for Ocon there now with this case of drivers giving the bare amount of minimum room there is a very good reason why they don't want to do that none of them want to run really far offline when they're trying to prepare for a lap and get their tires dirty so alonso i think was realizing he was running quite wide onto the dirty stuff and wanted yeah. to pinch it a little bit thinking ocon's got the car collected up now if alonso wasn't there and along and ocon had the same moment i truly believe he would have been out near the white line in turn three and would have aborted the lap anyway because he would have had to completely get out of it. Yeah. So I think his lap was ruined anyway. I think he was just a 
bit frustrated with his old chum Fernando. No, them two have got previous beef, and uh, and it was just unfortunate that it was there. So I think it was the right decision not to penalise anybody, but it may be something to keep an eye on moving forward. Of the yeah, how do you quantify how much room should be left? So if I may just follow up, um, the factual point I want to make is that having looked at the onboard pictures, Alcon's steering wheel was pointed in a direction to head around the turn at the point they made contact. And it was Alcon's rear wheel, not his front wheel. So the entirety of the front part of his car cleared Alonzo's car. And Alonzo was turning left into his path. So I will put it into the plausible, he might not have cleared him anyway. We don't really know. But the reason I want to bring this up, yeah, sorry, I, I, the reason I want to bring this up is nothing to do with defending Alcon here. But we also, in that same session, heard both Logan Sargent and Charles Leclerc complain about cars moving at the last minute, leaving very little room for them to go through. Now, maybe this is just the case where F1 TV had nothing better to do during a red flag. So they went and found this and it's always been going on. But I would suggest that perhaps since the drivers seem like they're starting to play games with how much room they leave for each other, that maybe that's something the FAA needs to take a little look at to prevent incidents like this from happening. Okay, uh, Brad, la- very last point, honestly. This has gotten way too much time in the show. Uh, I just, I've been watching back the replay on my phone because I actually have, I have the replay I can slow down and, yeah, okay. and view in detail. And I actually want to back up, Matt, and say that it's conceivable that without Alonso's final bit of left turning at the end, yeah. Ocon may have cleared the front <laughs> of him. But I'd also say that it's not clear and he may well have still hit him. So Yeah, oh, it's, it's really in that zone where it's just really hard to tell. All right, let's move on to the podium of a very, very long Brazilian Grand Prix weekend where we are now going to award the points for where not one and lost the missed apex award and the good thing award now i will say that i think this weekend went on too long i think of the sprint weekends we've had this is the first one where just the amount of f1 and stuff has made me less excited about sunday i've spoken about a the first one yeah, because I've spoken in the past. Not about for a, me. <laughs> all right, okay, yeah, yeah. I know a lot of people got there quicker, but I, I, I'm, I'm like obsessed like a puppy dog with F1. And I've sort of, I've had this theoretical point at which I might be less excited about the Sunday because of the sprint weekends. And I, and I, I was fearing it, and I finally got to it this Sunday. And I think it might be actually because there was a, quite a bit of action in the sprint race. And then there's two qualifying sessions where things happened, like Ocon deliberately being at fault and smashing into Alonso. But by the time the race started today, that heart rate thing, that boom, boom at the lights out, it just wasn't there today. And I'm, and I'm, I'm gutted about that. And I'm getting some, some nods here. Like we're all super passionate, obsessed F1 fans. And, and today was the, I felt a little bit numb. Yeah. Um, watching all of the hoedown, showdown, whatever it was called on Saturday. Um, yeah, I I found myself not really paying attention to it that much. It was on. I felt like I was watching it because I had to, because it's now a competitive session. Like I, I had can't to miss watch it, it because I'm a Formula One fan. No, you can't miss it. So um obviously I'm increasing the TV figures, which seems to be the metric. <laughs> yes. Um 
Yeah, yeah, I'm watching it, but I'm not really paying attention. I was talking to you guys in WhatsApp, I think, and then it was over, and I was like, oh, it's oh the 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 the, the hoedown's over or whatever it is, and I'm just like, right, okay, <laughs> the that's gone. Um, <laughs> and I'm just like, I don't know, um, and. And I was not actually taking in what was actually happening. And mm. too much of a thing makes that thing not so good. Our parents and were right. Me, it's too much ice cream. Yeah, exactly. And for me, the race, and I've said this on this show countless times, and I'll say it again, Grand Prix, big prize, the clues in the name. <laughs> it's all about the big race. I just want to pause there because I realise I'm into my thing that... Oh, no, you missed the apex. That missed the apex. That didn't, that didn't quite work. So my thing that missed the apex was the sprint weekend, making the whole weekend as a whole less special. Brad? Yeah, and, and as you know, I've had a bit of a, a to and fro with some F1 media people this weekend. Yes, Mr. Chanduk uh, was actually very... He took a lot of time to have a reasoned debate with you, both publicly on Twitter and I know via private message as well. So it was a genuine and, and really good faith uh, debate with Mr. Chanduk. Yeah, I wanted to be careful to, to not oh. you know, come across aggressive or anything. Oh, right. So okay. I, we, we, you know, I, I initially thought he, I was, I felt a bit attacked because he, he basically replied to a, a post that I'd written with something that I hadn't really said. So yeah. I felt I need to defend myself. Oh, he, he said, he, had... no, he did say, he said, um, oh, so you're saying that the sprint race was a rubbish race, were you? So initially that was a little bit of a, a straw man argument. But the thing I'd been putting across on social media was that the, all the F1 media, everyone who's in the paddock at the races is defending the sprint races hard. And the big line that's been coming across is, well, this is better than a practice session. Well, yes, obviously it's better than a, a practice session. But the argument has been that it's making the, the the overall product, you know, less good. But they have honed in on this, and and I imagine if you're working there, and you have to pay attention to every single session because you're working, then yes, I can imagine practice, practice, practice gets boring, and it would be a relief to have an extra a bit of the race. But you know, I'm a TV fan. Yeah, and and so first of all, better than a practice session is subjective anyway, because I like the practice sessions yes. for what they are. I like yeah. that I can casually listen to it. You know, you can be doing yeah. something else and have it on in the background. So yeah. for me, actually, a mandatory watching session that uh, and you can say, oh, go, don't bother watching it then. But no! when it's a point scoring session that's yeah. crucial to the context of the weekend, you can't not watch it. No. So for me, it's not better. But if we say better in terms of viewer figures, that's inarguable. But that's not really the question. The question is, if does it make the main product worse, as, as you've said a number of times? and. Mm. Is it worth having a session that's better than an alternative session if the main session is detracted from? And that was the mm. discussion I was having with Corinne. Yeah. And, and I think we will probably share a similar opinion on here, which is, and I agree with you, this is one of the first weekends, even sprint weekends, mm. where I've really had my viewership of the Sunday race dulled, really dull. You know, I was not as excited today as I should have been because I knew a little bit about what was probably going to happen. and. And it kind of did play out like that. We knew Mercedes were going to have pretty poor pace, and that's exactly how it turned out. It, it's it was as we predicted, and so yeah, I agree with your apex missing uh, vote. Well, I'm just curious since we have unlimited time here on the show. Uh, no, go on. I, whenever I look at this, I I always feel that ultimately this comes down to mainly a scheduling issue. As in, there's a lot more you have to pay attention to across the weekend, and it demands a much bigger time commitment if you're not a casual fan. If you're a casual fan, 
probably not that much different. You watch what you want to watch and you watch the race on Sunday and then you catch up highlights, whatever you want to watch. And so I'm curious if this proposal to have the qualifying Friday afternoon and the sprint race Saturday morning, then regular Saturday qualifying and Sunday race will actually possibly make the two able to coexist mm. in, in a less annoying fashion. <laughs> yeah. I know people say, yeah, if you loads of comments to me were saying, well, if you don't like it, just don't watch it. Because that's no. If you have like a, a 20 minute pre-show of the Game of Thrones episode that you want to watch on Friday, but you've got to tune in on Thursday to that 20 minutes that's got plot. Like, I'm, I'm not going to miss an episode of, of F1. I, I want to know what's happening. I think one point one bad argument that I've been seeing is there's been lots of polls that have gone out that have said, right, do you want the sprint race uh, to be binned or would you like the sprint race to be kept as it is? Or would you like a magical third option which solves all the problems? And in those polls, the magical third option that no one is actually saying specifically what it is and we don't know if it would work, that gets a kind of like, okay, well, I guess we're stuck with sprint races. So, you know, let's just see. Uh, but any poll that says bin the sprint race, yes or no, or sprint rate weekend or regular weekend, regular weekend wins. Like every poll I've seen, show show me one where it's a straight yes, no, where it's been less than kind of, you know, 80%, you know, towards let's just have the races as we, Red Bull are pushing hard as well. Verstappen's pushing hard. Horn is pushing hard saying, let's just have regular weekends. It is just the media side and the broadcaster that is seeing that. That magic viewing figure. Right, that's my missed Apex Award. Yes, I get that. So uh, let's run a little bit quicker through these. Uh, let's see, Kyle, what missed the Apex for you? There are several. I'm not going to do the guy's name. I was just about to make an awful pun out of, which I'm not going to do. Um, I'm going to do the uh, the TV direction. Got my back up. <laughs> yeah, uh, missed today. the Apex yeah. for me. Um, basically, three occasions where there was a, a battle coming out of the pits and somebody rejoining. Unfortunately, the the director was completely averse to showing the battle or just wasn't understanding the concept of somebody's rejoining the pits. We really need to see them rejoining the track because this is a crucial wherever they get out in front. It happened to against with um, Ham and Hamilton and Perez, Alonso and Perez and Stroll and Sainz. And mm. they missed and all three of them, they went to show something else. Yeah. And whilst I'm ranting about TV direction, <laughs> can I have a little bit more of a further rant? Because they do this in every single race and it drives me crazy. It's the standard format of, oh, end of lap two, lap three, let's show you five minutes of really long, drawn-out replays of something we have seen already. As soon as DRS <laughs> is enabled, they go to these awful, prolonged replays and they show the same clip three or from three or four different angles but they're not short little 20 second replays oh yeah, no yeah, no yeah. no no they're the full let's play everything through from everyone's angles and then let's look at somebody in the crowd oh by the way oh we've just missed a load of races and passing let's go and now show you replays of them while we're missing more live action please stop it please stop shall it. Please, we <laughs> I, I want no replays until after lap five at least can we just put a rule in place like just stop it we should rename this to just, just the yelling at clouds segment shouldn't power we rant. it's kyle's power rant there we go and brad what missed the apex for you felipe massa oh. not coming to the race this weekend i'm not but coming then but then turning up anyway you couldn't pay me like, to turn up what just what an absolute mess that whole situation is. Did you see yeah, there the f- was um, Brazilian fans there saying like Hamilton's my favourite Brazilian and stuff like that? I think I wonder what Massa's reputation now is in Brazil. I think he's thrown away like a lot of 
love, but I've heard he's like running for parliament or something. So maybe I that's think he's chosen the wrong time Thing. yeah to to do this if he's going to do it because first of all it's way too late and obviously mm. it's absolute it's, it's, there's a non-case anyway but hamilton is super popular has just <laughs> yeah. been made a citizen of his country yeah. mm. he's still an active driver and is still driving well mm. and you know half the fans are wearing bright yellow caps and holding up banners about lewis hamilton and, and he chooses that moment to mm. to try and get his stolen title back and then turn up in the paddock to kind of, I guess, canvas for support. So he misses my apex. Matt, who missed the apex for you? Well, I was going to go with something different, but I'm being reminded of the fact that we've had yet another spectator invasion of the track. Like the good old days. I'm going to go with, uh, yeah, both the organization security and the spectators who thought it was a great idea to run onto a live track. I think all kind of get my missed Apex award because, like, please don't do that. I'm not going to give that to the stewards, though. If if spectators want to do an invasion, there's an invasion happening. Hands up if you've ever invaded a sporting event at the end of the a thing. Yeah, me and Kyle. I knew it would be me and Kyle. <laughs> Go on, then. What's yours, Kyle? I, I have actually invaded, but I've also been a marshal at the MotoGP mm. trying to hold back, like, 40,000 <laughs> fans on Craner Curves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we had race controls screaming at us saying, do not let these people yeah. on. Trust me. Well, what are you going to do? We have thousands mm. of fairly well-oiled and inebriated mm. uh, bike fans literally blasting a fence down in front of you. I was like, yeah, you crack on, guys. <laughs> yeah. I ain't going to stop them. So I feel sorry for the circuit workers and the track because when there's a, a force of a crowd like that and they're coming through, you weren't doing much to stop them. Oh, it was, mine was a Colchester United match, and they came over the tannoy, and it was like you know, it was a it was a cup game, and they came over the tannoy to say, and there'd never really been pitch invasions. They came over the tannoy to say, we just want to be clear that you shouldn't do a pitch invasion, <laughs> and everyone was like muttering, like, oh, that's a brilliant idea. We hadn't even thought of that, so we all just like stormed the stormed the pitch at the end. Um, but apparently here, I think the race wasn't quite finished. Yeah, so please don't do that. But it was normal. Silverstone, you used to get pitch uh, track invasions all the time. You'd have um, Nigel Mansell like punching spectators left and right just to get back to Park Verme. All right, then let's um, end very quickly then with our good thing award. Why don't we always do it this way round? It's obviously much nicer to end on the good thing. Like it's obviously nicer. Good. All right. Uh, let's see. Good thing award to me. I am going to give it to. Uh, Yuki Sonoda for his dodging of the tyre and really taking a safe approach. I think you could actually see him going, I'm I'm going to get through this. I'm going to make it. And he did better than Ricardo because Ricardo didn't avoid the tyre. That's 2-0 to Sonoda since his comeback. OK, let's go to Brad. Brad, what, what's your good thing award? Thank you. You've made this easier for me because <laughs> I only have one thing on my list. I didn't have many massive positives from this weekend. But- no. I did really enjoy Alonso repassing Perez yes, it was great. at the end. So that the, the Alonso Perez battle is my good thing of the weekend. And uh, Brad, you can be found on your YouTube channels. Uh, search for Bradley Philpot YouTube and go and follow Brad on Twitter because Brad has absolutely zero filter from his brain to your Twitter feed. So is it at Brad Philpot? Uh, it's at Bradley Philpott Bradley Philpott, yeah. on Twitter. And if you just search for Brad Philpott on YouTube, you'll see all my latest videos, including teaching novices how to drive around the Nürburgring in three days in ridiculously fast cars and some go-karting that me and a couple of other panellists have been up to in the last few months. All the links to our panel will be in the show notes below. Uh, Kyle Power going to get your good thing award. Now, Kyle, we have embarked on uh, a doomed podcast project. I love a doomed <laughs> pod- podcast project. We've committed... 
to producing f- uh, four uh, MotoGP race yes. reviews. Indeed, for the final four races of this season, uh, there we also have some ideas for some off-season Brilliant. content. So if it starts getting some legs and we start getting some good listenings and some nice feedback, then uh, yep. we'll be much more inclined to make some uh, <laughs> yeah. off-season content and then maybe going to next year because the end of this MotoGP uh, championship has been absolutely enthralling mm. and uh, we'd like to get people like yourself I no. don't think we'll ever convert Brad. I think his, <laughs> I don't think we could ever do that, but we'd love to get Bikes some two-wheeled virgins along <laughs> to actually watch some of it with us. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, and enjoy it. So next Tuesday, we should have the, uh, the review of the Malaysian Moto Grand Prix out ready for your Tuesday morning commute. So do tune in and give it a listen and give bikes a try. They're not that scary. I actually would really like to just try a moto gp race just to then either appear on the podcast or talk to kyle about it yeah oh, please. Just, we can try we can all try i know I'm, i know i'm gonna hate it mm. i know it's not for me but i'd love <laughs> right. to just try it because and, and, i know kyle loves it so much and just so you know I'm, I'm i'm producing it but don't worry i'm not i'm not on it so you don't you don't have to bear me anymore so go uh, search for Moto, missed apex moto gp uh, or we'll put a link in the show notes below as well we'll, we'll also put the feed link in there so you can add that to your search bar of your podcast app and that would help us kyle uh who hit the apex for you uh yeah why don't why don't we call it hit the apex why do we call it good thing who hit yeah. the apex for you jeez that's really good wow it's taken all these years yeah. <laughs> it's only eight, <laughs> only eight years in who hit the apex for you kyle uh i'm actually i'm gonna give it to max verstappen cool uh for his just general down-to-earth and honesty about the sprint races yeah, i yeah, love the yeah, fact yeah. that it's just being straight out and is not towing the quite obvious brief that i think the accredited media even though they're denying it it's quite obvious that everyone's pushing the same rhetoric that sprints are amazing and they're the best mm. thing ever. I love the fact that he's just straight out and no. just slags them off. Yeah. <laughs> it's just Fair like, enough. no, I really like it down to us. So he gets my thing of the weekend. Uh, Matt, who hit the apex for you? I'm trying it out. I don't know that like that wording just is now confused I know, I know, I know. infinitely. I, I don't know what to say. Matt, what's the good. Um, you, apex? Know, you know who did? Go you on. know who did? And this is going to make you angry. Oh, okay. I'm ready. Perez. Because unlike Everybody else who was like, oh, he barely met the mediocre expectations mm-hmm. yeah. of what we have. I have a different view of this, which is I see someone who was completely lost with that car. Okay. Okay. Coming back to a point where he can legitimately sort of yeah, have, have a battle with Alonzo that he might have almost <laughs> won. And I, I just feel like... For him and his personal journey, this is this is another big step forward after Mexico, where he just sort of managed to finish a race without any disasters. Brad's dying. <laughs> I, Brad is dying. Brad is a driver. But but I have seen people get lost in equipment and minutiae. We could talk about Daniel Ricciardo at McLaren till the cows come home. Yeah, he got sacked, man. He's found, he's found, he's starting to find okay, his okay. way back. And I think the, he deserves credit for that. I've got to push the Brad because he's dying. Sorry, I had to compose myself. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm not sure if Matt's taking the mickey or not. That's sure. all. Yeah, like, it could there be. is. He came back. He got on top of the car by finishing 35 seconds behind his teammate and, and almost finishing third in the most dominant car of all time. Like, he should be walking home to at least, you know, 10 seconds behind Verstappen. Yeah. Anyone with. Anyone who's worth their salt, probably 50% of the grid should be able to get within 15 seconds of Verstappen in that car by the end of a race. And, I appreciate the effort, Matt. I Genuinely, I do. Go and follow Matt 
at MattPT55 on Twitter. And all the links to everything we've mentioned will magically appear in the show notes somehow, for which I am very grateful, Matt. You can also follow me at SpannersReady. And and please do, as quite a few of you have, have done recently, join our patrons by going to patreon.com forward slash missed apex the patrons are literally the reason we are able to keep doing this uninterrupted and we've been able to do that for the last this is our ninth season of of missed apex and our 11th season overall for me and matt doing uh doing podcasts about formula one and genuinely the only reason we can do that is because of you www.patreon.com forward slash missed apex and i think we might do our vegas review around midday on the Sunday and I think we are going to have a guest host to do a mailbag episode for you next Sunday I am going to have a week off but wherever I see you next work hard be kind and have fun this was Missed Apex Podcast Bradley, have your hand up. Do you need the toilet? No, I just want to suggest a tagline for your MotoGP show. Oh, okay. Lean, hard, uh, race say. with a broken limb. <laughs> MotoGP. Missed Apex MotoGP. They're not even real cars. I was going to go <laughs> with, um, let's lean into it. But I don't really understand if the leaning is good. Two wheels are better than none. Yeah, that's quite that's good. That's a good one. 50%, well, 50% yeah. the wheels, 50% the quality. I don't understand bike racing. <laughs> no, actually, I watched the last race and it was mm. brilliant. That was so much better than what I saw today. It's 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 just it's challenging to be excited about Formula One after watching the MotoGP race. Yeah, the championships alive, like really, really kicking. Made it into the MotoGP podcast. Stop. We've all got beds and to go Kyle, to. Great job, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I did listen. you're a really good I did podcast host. Amazing job on yeah. hosting, my friend. I, 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 it took me like a day and a half to bring myself to be able to <laughs> listen to it because I, yeah. I hate myself and want to bury myself into a hole. But it was okay after fluffing the intro and stuff like that. Oh, um, hang on, eighth time though, you nailed it. Eighth time, oh, you absolutely, absolutely nailed it. Yeah, close to perfection on you. Well, yeah. I um, can understand <laughs> compared to Spanners, who always gets the intro perfect every time. Hey, how long has it been since I fluffed the intro? I've done it great, and also, and <laughs> At also, least weeks. And it got, <laughs> Kyle, it got to the point where I did this. You are listening. I pre-recorded it. it next part. <laughs> so um, no, I want to get that. Yeah, we can do that. But also, you had a fantastic editor. But yeah, it's all good, and we will. Uh, it will only grow in time. I have ridden bikes before. And I always thought I was really leaning over, getting into the corner. And then I saw a video of me. Someone videoed me. <laughs> it's a bolt up. Bro. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing anything. And my, my dad used to get teased by the mechanics at his when he took his bike in mm-hmm. because the wear was only in a very thin line around it's the... It's called chicken strips. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on the other side of the, where people don't lean yeah, it yeah, in yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you never lean <laughs> like, right. I remember trying to get my uh, knee down on my old CG125 yeah, with Coke yeah. cans on my knees. And I, I, I did get my knee down, closely followed by the rest of me quite yeah, frequently. Yeah, yeah, I've fallen off, but yeah. Okay, so we do have comment of the week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, 
all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. 